0: Welcome to a special series of A Shot in the Arm podcast, Sharing the Mic with Frontline Aids. As you might be able to guess, I'm not your usual host, Ben Plumley. My name is Christine Steffling, and I'm the Executive Director of Frontline Aids. And for four episodes, we're sharing the mic to profile the crucial role of communities around the world in creating a future free from AIDS. Frontline Aids is a partnership made up of community organizations in more than 100 countries, And together we take local, national, and global action on HIV, on health, and on human rights. We've made a lot of progress over the last 30 years, but we risk losing hard-won gains. We must not lose sight that with the right investments, innovation, and community-led programs, we can end AIDS and improve the health of everyone, no matter where they live or who they are. Find out more about us at www.frontlineaids.org. And now back to Ben.
1: Hello, I'm Ben Plumley, host of A Shot in the Arm podcast. Today is Friday the 24th of June, 2022, and the US Supreme Court has just announced a decision to overturn Roe versus Wade and to eliminate the constitutional right of every woman in the USA to abortion. Frontline Aids and A Shot in the Arm podcast recorded this episode earlier in the week in anticipation of the decision, and looking at the ramifications around the world, the shockwaves that will be felt, not just in the US. It's a fiery, passionate, and hugely informative conversation between three leaders in global health, from Kenya, South Africa, and the USA. Now, A Shot in the Arm podcast is not political. We seek to air and reconcile the wide-ranging views on innovation and equity in global health, but our underlying foundation is that we all share, or should share, some fundamental agreement about the health and human rights of everyone. And we need to be specific here, the health and human rights of girls and women, and of girls and women of colour. We also expect policy to be driven by evidence and science. Abortion is health. Where it is prohibited, the evidence is indisputable. The health and safety of girls and women are at risk. Today's decision won't eliminate abortions in the US, Abortion may be harder to access, and it will be driven underground, putting girls' and women's health, their futures, and their lives at risk. And it doesn't end there. You'll have seen that Justice Clarence's additional opinion that today's decision sets the president to reverse protections for access to contraception, same-sex marriage, and same-sex relations, period, well, that has implications for the AIDS response. It's pretty obvious. So it's a momentous day for the health and human rights movement. All of us from the many shades of political opinion that make up our community will not give up. And as we consider what we do, we hope this discussion will be of help. So I can't think of a better panel of experts to help us think through the global ramifications of what looks like now an inevitable reversal of the US Supreme Court decision around Roe versus Wade, than our guests today. And joining us from Pretoria is Yumna Hattas, who is the Senior Gender and Sexual and Reproductive Health and Rights um, Advisor uh, at Frontline AIDS. Yumna, welcome to A Shot in the Arm podcast.
2: Hi, Ben. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, Yeah. And I was just saying hopefully that um as you know escom our electricity supplier um is doing some load shedding tonight between 5 and 10 and i am supposed to not be on the grid tonight so hopefully it will will keep up and we'll carry on through this discussion
1: <laughs> yeah well we'll carry on regardless and um uh, i am i am sure um uh we'll make it through so so don't worry um we're also joined by Patricia Giconia, um and she is joining us from Nairobi in Kenya, and she's the senior technical advisor for LVCT Health, uh, which is the national partner in Kenya of frontline AIDS. Patricia, welcome. How are you this evening?
3: I'm doing very well, and thank you so much for having me on this panel. Looking forward to the discussion.
1: Thank you. Um, and our third guest today, well, she recently co-authored um, a really electrifying um, uh, op- opinion piece, particularly about this subject, the global ramifications of the reversal of Roe v. Wade, in Ms. Magazine. And she is the uh, chief strategic engagement officer at Pathfinder International. Um, it's Crystal Lander. Crystal Welcome. And you're calling in from uh, Washington, D.C.?
4: Absolutely. Happy to be here. Wish it was under better terms of things to talk about, but happy
2: to be here.
1: It's great. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining us. And thank you all for being with us. Um, Crystal, can I start with you? Um, we are recording this. Um, on the um, 21st of June, uh, 2022. We don't yet have a decision on what's gonna happen on Roe versus Wade, but what are we seeing um, literally on your doorstep in Washington, DC? When do you expect that we're gonna hear something?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So it's really interesting. You June is a big month for Supreme Court decisions. So we're, we're anxiously waiting for this one, even though we know pretty much with the leak what it says. Um, We have seen that the barriers have gone up at the Supreme Court. A group of decisions uh, will start today on the Tuesday at 10 a.m. and then go um, for a period of time. And then Thursday will be another set of decisions coming forth. So it's one of those anxious kinds of things that you kind of know what's going to happen. You feel that pit in your stomach, but at the same time, you can't wait to actually see what it says.
1: Yeah, so we're anticipating that this will really hit at any minute. Um, Yumna, can I come to you briefly? Um, You've followed uh, the influence of the United States in global policy around sexual and reproductive health. Um, Are you prepared for this moment? Um, uh, How worried are you?
2: Well, I think, I mean, it's, it's a big concern. For anybody working in global health. Um, and we know what happened the last time with the global gag rule. Um, so we have to look and prepare for it. Um, and I think for us, some of the ramifications is, you know, we work at Funtress in a partnership. So again, being there for our partners and being able to work through. The situation you know on a case-by-case situation because that's that's the reality of it the ramifications can be big but it's about working with our partners and making sure that we are there to support them through this process Yeah,
1: um you're going to be in new york next week i think um for un meetings um and the engagement of the uh, non governmental organization sector um and they have this strange acronym called ecosoc is this likely to um to, to to play a big part of those discussions
2: well i'd hope it is because you know um the discussions that's going to be happening at the ecosoc meeting is all about you know building back better from covid um so we know what COVID did, um, you know, undoing all the gains that we've made, especially in terms of, you know, gender-based violence, et cetera. Um, and the big thing is that, you know, to be able to attain all the goals, gender equality and, um, undergirds the success of all the goals being reached and so this is definitely a big issue and and i'm hoping to see that this comes up in the discussions um if anything i might just decide to poke that discussion i'm going to be there and for frontline age it's a big thing for us because hiv is is like you know in the center of all of this of the ramifications and so and that's our our goal is to end hiv the incidence of of hiv so yeah i mean for me I would like to see this come up at the Ecosoft discussions, and I'd like to see what people people's thoughts are around this.
1: Um, Patricia, perhaps I could come to you uh, in Nairobi. Are you following this closely? Um, what's keeping you up at night about this potential decision or likely decision?
3: All right. Thank you very much. Um, so I, I want to say, like in Kenya, uh, there are definitely several organisations and. Uh, advocates who are following this very closely uh, because we are definitely likely to see um, a lot of shifts uh, in our sexual and reproductive health uh, and rights uh, programming. Um, In in Kenya, the voices of the pro-life kind of groups are very, very, very high, and uh, they influence a lot of the policies in the country, so the decision um, that will be made will have a direct impact and influence on what goes on um, in terms of, you know, increasing access. When we're talking about quality, when we talk about programming for adolescent girls and young women, yeah.
1: So, yeah, I mean, it clearly has uh, shockwaves uh, already going around the world. Um, Crystal, could you perhaps help us unpack a little bit what what is what is likely to happen? Um, the the let's say the decision comes through exactly has been as has been leaked. What will that mean for a uh, a woman in California or a woman in Alabama?
4: Yeah. Um, so I mean, I love that my colleague just said. You know, the shockwaves. Um, one as you know, a U.S. citizen, it is um, sad, uh, disappointing, frustrating. Um, I love when my government is leading and out front on issues that are important that are part of our values. And women's health, because this is what this is, this is about women controlling their bodies and their health um, being a public discussion that frankly is only really focusing on her control. And for us to be so out of step with the rest of the world is very difficult. So I'm gonna say for many of us who not only work in this field, but frankly, you just live in this country, this is disappointing. This feels very um, out of step with our values. Also, it frankly is out of step with the rest of the world. Um, So that, I'll state that there because I think we're all processing this a little bit. So what happened? We know for, since Roe basically was was passed that um, the anti-abortion groups, anti-choice organizations have, gone strategically after this choice. They've gone state by state, making it more and more difficult with legal challenges, making it more and more difficult. Governors have put things in place in key states, unfortunately, a lot in the southern states of the United States, where disproportionately the number of poor women impacted by these decisions um, are women of color, Um, young people. It's been very hard. So we've seen this happen state by state. It is no uh, coincidence that Jackson, from Jackson, Mississippi, is a part of this legal case challenge. So it's gone, been targeted efforts to do this. And I will say not only just safe abortion, but contraception also. So make no mistake, they go hand in hand. So we've seen this come over and over again. But many states have done put forth good efforts and really have codified access to safe abortion in their states. So you've had states say, you know what, I see this coming. We wanna put a marker on the ground and protect it legally uh, as a legislation to protect. We also see states getting, like uh, Michigan, who's putting forth and gathering signatures to put things on the ballot for ballot measures um, and for elections this fall. So you see states that are really trying to push back on these efforts, really protect women and youth on these efforts. Unfortunately, this goes into a state-by-state effort. And for those who live outside of the U.S. who are listening here, state-by-state efforts um, is how slavery continued in the United States. For many people of color, it is a scary or vulnerable populations or minority groups from any part. State-by-state issues makes it uh, cross state lines, you no longer have these rights, and that is not something we see as viable, nor see as fair. That is not we are we are members of the United States of America, as citizens, not a state by state issue. So while we support efforts state to solidify and guarantee certain rights, it is very disconcerting that you women, particularly poor women. Uh, we'll have to figure out ways to get across state lines to have access to basic health care. And I think that that is a dangerous precedent to set. And that's why we are so adamant that people are paying attention. You know, there's stopgap efforts, but this is not what we want in the long run to happen.
1: Did, did we see this coming, do you think? Are we are we adequately prepared? I mean, both, both nationally in the U.S. and globally.
4: Yeah, um, this is a tough one. I literally have only worked on reproductive health and rights my whole career. Um, I actually went to school for it. This is what I did. I volunteered on it. So for me, this was not a surprise. This has been happening over and over again. My first job was working um, at a Planned Parenthood clinic in Houston, Texas, where we were seeing um, women who, you know, immigrant women who were working every day, paying their taxes, who were not achieving access to basic health care in their own backyard because they did not know it existed, they were not sure about the cost, um, and they were scared. And so I saw that early in my career and then actually end up working for the Feminist Majority Foundation where we were particularly targeting young women, college-age women, and saying, look, this right to safe abortion, this right to family planning, commodities, This is not something that you should sleep on. This is not going to stay forever. We must put things in place. We must, frankly, have legislation to back up the Supreme Court case. And a lot of people, I have to be honest, were saying, oh, that's never going to happen. Are you sure? Because to some degree, you grew up with these rights. You believe that it will always exist. And I think that this is, we won't, it's not a period on the sentence. This is a comma. We will continue to fight for this United States because we know the impact it has around the world. You know, I have worked around the world and seen the fact that whether we like it or not, sometimes the U.S. sets a precedent and a standard for these things. We are the largest global health uh, donor in the world, and that's something I am very proud of. We should be. We should be giving to other countries and supporting other countries' primary health care and women's access to reproductive health and rights. But what when we are out of step with the direction of the rest of the world with progressive healthcare, it is embarrassing to be honest. And I know that it will impact and it won't be something maybe really public, but it'll be the Ministry of Health saying, well, the US isn't doing it. Why are we doing it here? And that's the thing that we worry about. Many of us as activists, I see everyone shaking their head. We know that (laughs) it's not always going to be what you see out front, but behind the scenes, they're going to say, well, the U.S. isn't doing it. How are they advocating for us to support human rights? They're not even doing it at home for their own women who are more than 50% of the population. So that's what we're worried about. That's the chilling effect that we keep talking about. The Trump administration did that as president, and we saw the whole switching of, you know, global gag was mentioned, that back and forth, you know, it's not a light switch. People do not change overnight. So that means all the people in between, all the women and youth and adolescents who are going in for HIV care or going in for testing, you know, pregnant women going in for maternal health care, all of a sudden they go in and they say, well, we don't think this is legal. You're saying, but it is legal now. They'll say, well, we'll see. So all those people oh. who are in between—these are real people real lives. and real lives—and so we see that every day, and and um, that's why the continuity is so important. That's you know I know we'll get to some of the things we can do, but that's why I think we're also passionate about this.
1: I I could see Yumna you nodding your head vigorously. I mean, as you've you, you've worked in this for a number of years the the chilling effect of changes in u.s policy on on country programs what has frontline aid seen
2: well i mean i think first of all i think it's exactly you know what crystal's been saying it's you know how how roe versus wade el- overturning the overturning of roe versus wade is going to undermine the u.s work that's been done i mean the dreams project for pepfar for example you know Pushing for adolescents to gain access to family, uh, family planning, contraception, understanding their sexuality, and uh, you know, uh, trying to attain it in a certain time period. You're not going to do that if you're going to if you're going to overturn Roe versus Wade. So there, I mean, that's uh, that's going to be a, a big embarrassment for you, but also from a point of accountability, you know, it it really is a big thing. Um, but for me, that the big concern is that you know, um, besides. You know the politics behind it because the politics has a big influence and yes like you said crystal um you know governments are going to say well you know what they're not doing it so why should we do it you know and in any case if they're doing it this way why can not we also do it this way and actually take the same route but the problem for me is you know that it's not going to stop abortions it's just that abortions are going to go underground and when we were in a good position, we were able to manage, you know, proper health care. You know, abortion is care. And looking at it from that perspective and being able to maintain the, you know, life-threatening situations, you know, hemorrhaging, etc., you can go into all the technical aspects of it. As a clinician, I can do that. But the point I'm making here, you know, as a midwife, it gives me like, ugh, it makes me feel like really scared. Because now it's going to go underground and we cannot manage what happens underground and it's going to become life threatening and we're going to be seeing an increase in maternal health and um, health uh, death rates. And so that's the scary part about it. We're not we're not getting rid of it. It's just it's just going to be more hidden and we're going to have a bigger problem to deal with, Um, you know, and whereas before we could actually manage it. So so that's the other thing. And then, you know, just coming back to the issue of race, you know that, you know, the whole issue of global health goes back to colonial times. Um, and yeah, so the way it is it is implemented You know, we are trying to move against that. You know, we've got decolonization movements coming out. We've got anti-racism movements, which is a good thing and it's needed and it's pushing development in a different direction, in a direction that we needed to go to. But when Roe versus Wade comes in, what it's going to do, it's going to undermine the efforts that we've been doing in that because it's going back to colonial way of doing global health. And that is really taking it away from a rights-based approach, taking it away from choice and agency and being able to make decisions. You know, women being able to make informed decisions in a state where they are able to do it, not where they're being held ransom and, and having their choices criminalized. So so that's those are my concerns. And HIV is really at the center of all of this because people, women in all their diversity, you know, marginalized communities, key populations, all of us. All of us who have been making these decisions, you know, from a point of knowing because we've been able to have access to this information. Now have to take a step back and say, "Oops, am I going to be jailed for this decision that I'm making?" So it's taking away that ability to make that choice, um, and it's really cutting off at the knees. So we really need to look at this and the impact it's going to have on our key populations, on the well-being of people living with HIV, and you know, just women in all their diversity. Yeah. You know. That's, those are just
1: my, some of my thoughts patricia picking up on on what yumna said um and, and indeed crystal um the impact this will have on on other governments have you seen um in the in kenya in in and in countries across eastern africa um this kind of effect perhaps not the the direct change in policy but the impact of well if our major funder is going this route, why should we take another route?
3: Absolutely. Um, so I, w- I would just like to start by saying that um, you know the US is, is a pace setter. They are a global leader. A lot of the things that are said, declared, signed at the level of the US directly impacts on what we do in other parts of the world, and in Eastern Africa and in Kenya to be very specific. Um, And when I think about the rule versus Wade um, uh, ruling, I am also thinking about the issues on contraceptives. And uh, we were just recently having a discussion after doing some field field visit work. And uh, we had the story of this girl who went to a facility to ask for a contraceptive. She's under 18 and she was denied uh, a contraceptive. Then she became pregnant. She went to procure a backstreet abortion uh, because in Kenya it's illegal unless under certain conditions that have been defined in the constitution. So she ended up bleeding to death. So the very basic things are, this is a girl who knows her risks and she's made a decision that I want a contraceptive because I do not want to become pregnant. But the policies, the practices, were a barrier. The one thing she did not want to go through, she now had to go through, and make even a far much worse decision. We are now talking about a life that has been lost. And so, for me, in in in, in um in these discussions, uh, and and uh, as the previous speakers have said, it opens up, you know, a can kind of worms. It has a huge ripple effect on a number of things. Just um, recently, uh, PEPFA uh, declared that they, were not, they are not going to uh, fund the dapivirine vaginal ring post the studies. And the studies would be running probably the next one to two years. So post the two years, there's no guarantee that the dapivirine vaginal ring will be available for women who have decided and are thinking that the ring will actually work for them to prevent HIV. What we have seen now in our countries is that the discussion on the Piverin ring is so difficult. Everybody now is beginning to, to, to question, you know, the, the approval of our own uh, pharmacy and poisons board. Uh, they're wondering why uh, this product has been approved in the country. But we are at a level where we want to do some real-world real, real world, um, delivery of the dapivirine ring and provide more evidence on the questions that people have. How will women use it? Who are these women who actually want it? How can we make it available? So for me, um, this kind of rulings, they compromise also on choice. And choice is a fundamental human right. If I want to choose a particular product to prevent HIV to prevent pregnancy, I should be allowed as a woman to be able to make such decisions. And the decision around this shouldn't be in the hands of someone else who's not experiencing what I'm experiencing, who doesn't understand my my real life lived experiences every single day. And now those decisions for me seem to lie in the hands of people who do not understand the dynamics, the risks, the many things. Um, that women have to have to deal with. So it's, it's really going to make conversations on, on sexual and reproductive health and rights very difficult. Now we are already being told, who told you that an under 18 has a right? They don't have rights to say yes. They don't have rights to say no. I argued one time if my 10-year-old, when I was taking her for the HPV vaccine, I had to discuss it with her and ask her, Mama, are you okay with this? This is what it means for you. I wanted to involve her to say yes to it willingly. And when she did it, I took her. When I shared that somewhere, somebody asked me, so what does that mean? So do you mean also your daughter can now say yes to sex? I said, no, I have taught her and I expect that she is able at her age right now, she's gonna say no to sex because that's the conversation we are having. So it's really going to be very disempowering. The sense of agency is going to go down because women will feel very helpless. they will feel they cannot access what will add to their quality of life.
1: Oh, thanks, Patricia. And I, I, that, that linkage um, with the availability of the depiverine microbicide ring, that, that, that is a linkage I'd not thought of and. Totally clear. Um, Yumna, I, I, I wonder if it might be helpful at this point just to explain to our listeners and viewers just what the impact is going to be on restrictions for girls and women accessing sexual and reproductive health services in the context of delivering HIV programmes. And, and just what that effect will, it, it will have on countries and communities. And I, and I guess I asked that question because, of course, the U.S. remains the single largest donor um, in the global fight against AIDS, both to the Global Fund, but also through PEPFAR. And I think you're on mute, mute Yumna
2: sorry about that um yeah so for me the 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 conversation is around the dreams project and the promises it's made for adolescents and young girls around sexuality and i mean the dreams project is is worldwide everybody's excited about it it's excited about the aims that they want to make
1: now um, let me just interrupt you um yumna tell us what the dreams project is
2: um yeah, ugh, gosh, the acronym is a bit too much for me. I can't remember the acronym. We're just so used to using the word dreams. But it's it's PEPFA's um way of saying that they acknowledge adolescent and young girls and the fact that they 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 have issues around sexuality, they have rights around sexuality, they need to know about who they are as individuals, as sexual beings. And so it was a very big move, I think, for, for the US to go this way, but it was a good move. And so um, it's bringing adolescents and young girls into the project, into the, into the discussion and allowing them to understand that they can have contraception, that they have right over their body autonomy and they have agency and so this project is very good in that we are pushing um, comprehensive sexuality education through that way and we are educating and providing informed decisions and therefore adolescents and young girls can make informed decisions especially those that are that are infected with HIV and AIDS and so when you are making a promise like that you know it's a big promise to make and and when you go and say um Roe versus Wade um and you overturn that, you're actually turning that upside down and you're undermining the the goals and the aims um of that particular project and the timeline that it that it that it um allows. So in other words, anybody who wants to now access um, abortions, which is part of care for anybody and it's especially people that have HIV and AIDS, then you are saying that can't happen. So it's it's at at a, at a at a service level, um, you're going to a facility, um, and it's like Patricia says, and that's not allowed. Um, and 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 even the the particular service has to be linked to someone who gets US funding. It's even worse. So it's it's just throwing the you know throwing the Dreams Project under the bus. Literally and saying we're just going to sabotage what you're currently doing um and you'll have to rethink about how you want to do this you know adolescent and goals will have to find another way of 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 you know asserting themselves and getting agency so um and so all those those goals about being determined and resilient and empowered is 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 getting a slap in the face um yeah for um for, for this um, from this perspective yeah.
1: Crystal, I'm interested in your thoughts on this, Um, particularly, you you know, so twofold. One, we're seeing, again, shockwaves potentially that not directly but indirectly could affect PEPFAR funding. But would there be some um, specific direct linkage as a result of uh, the reversal of Roe versus Wade?
4: Yeah, and and the Dreams Project is an amazing project, and um, it targets that vulnerable population. It's not to say that boys are not vulnerable in many settings, but the reality is we know girls are particularly vulnerable. Um, They are the ones who were sexually assaulted. Um, Our HIV, AIDS rates were rising. That was a targeted effort, really, to focus on them. And at Pathfinder, we you know, clearly, uh, young people are important to us, but also I think people somehow decide that we separate how most people get HIV is still through sex. So sexual reproductive health and rights and HIV go together. And sometimes I think they're pulled apart for political reasons. The reality is um, it is so important. And and what Yule was talking about with empowerment, it is so much focus on the empowerment of young women um, to own their bodies and to make you know good choices and have that information to do so, that programs like those are basically stripped of a key, um, key a purpose or a tool. So what people say is, oh no, you can still do your HIV work, you just don't talk about sexual reproductive health, don't talk about contraception, and if someone gets pregnant, don't talk about abortion. You're like, I don't understand. So basically you make the programs, um, you strip them of all of their meat under this this surface of saying, oh, everything, you can still do the work without talking about abortion. You can't, you're supposed to talk about all the options available to a young person, to a woman who's making these decisions, to her and her family, not to a group of other people. Um, The other thing with this chilling effect that I think is important is that we saw under the Trump administration uh, overreaching. So the global gag rule was applied to all of global health funding, not just, Family planning funding, which is problematic both sides, but we realize it was a constant reaching. And what are you know what we're seeing is it's going to be a battle of lawsuits. Again, this is not while we're battling lawsuits here for this rights because we believe in them and we should. What we're going to worry about is all the people in between who are losing access and rights and who are dying. And we are this is not hyperbole. Who are dying because we're arguing over things that are fundamentally their, within their, their rights and some ones that we believe are. And so I think that's, again, what is so um, frustrating, I'm sure, as a, a provider, um, because you're just saying, you're like, we can solve this problem, so let's solve it. Why are we um, making this about politics? The reality, it is about healthcare. This is the extension of healthcare. Women want to choose an abortion for whatever reason. This shouldn't be debatable. But something that I think most people don't realize is um, I'll hear people say, well, I don't know, I'm fine with abortion long as it's within case of rape or incest or things they've decided to qualify what they think the decisions are. One is it's none of your business either way. But two is the case that's before the Supreme Court does not have a caveat for a rape and uh, incest. So going beyond all of these things is we just I feel like we didn't pay attention on our side. And I'll say we being. American citizens who more uh, support women's right to choose in this country and have over and over and over again, we weren't paying attention. We got ourselves into this caveat of, well, maybe only these people deserve it or these people are allowed. You don't get to make that choice. You don't get to choice out who has access to the um, health care. And I think that when it happens to them, then all of a sudden people are like, well, why are you getting to debate this issue? We're saying this is just, this is just the same thing. People should make decisions about their own bodies and be able to have that. And women, youth and adolescents should have that same decision. I love what Priscilla said about her son, I mean, her daughter making this decision. It's like, I, this is what I'm giving you the facts. This is what I think you should do and why, but what do you want to do with your body? And it, it, it's, It may seem really small, but it sets the precedence on how we communicate about healthcare decisions. She's going to think that that's her norm the rest of her life, and that's good. We just have to make sure the rights back up her norm.
1: Absolutely. There's something in this conversation that is taking me back to some of the other conversations happening around broader global health security and this sense that we can trust in inverted commas, the United States for the moment, but in three years, two years with a new president or sooner with a new Congress, all of this may change. And so I know this is something that we've all been living with, um, and we've been living with it in the context of the, the gag rule. It might be worth just sort of spending a couple of moments understanding a bit about what that reality was like. And, and and again, Crystal, maybe I could start with you to give us a, a quick description of what the gag rule is, has been, and hopefully will not be again. Yeah.
4: So essentially, um, it started under then-President Ronald Reagan. It was called Mexico City Policy because that's where it was announced. But basically says that um, international NGOs with any funding from U.S. government cannot... Um, educate on abortion, cannot perform abortions, which they haven't been able to do anyway. But also cannot lobby for to change abortion laws in their countries. And the reason why this was um, is called a global gag rule. and cannot be applied to U.S. based NGOs, is because it would be a violation of freedom of speech. So it's applied to international NGOs who receive U.S. funding. But even if this applies even if the country has laws on it that says abortion is legal. So you could be in a country where abortion's legal. If you get US funds, you cannot use it for any of those things we talked about. Uh, You can can lobby against abortion, but you can't lobby for abortion policies or uh, any of those things. The where it becomes really convoluted is because you have to keep the money separated, you have to keep the documentation separated, and for many of the places where this is impacted our organizations that don't have you know cpa level accounting to keep all of these things you know coordinated. they are about delivering services and educating so what it ends up happening is people saying we just won't do it we'll won't do anything related to this and again in countries where it's legal they cannot even do it with their own separate money so this is u.s money coming in for this thing they have other money coming in from other governments, maybe, and money, their own private money. But they they have to carve out the U.S. money and say it can't be used for anything related to abortion, but they can use this money over here. But this one person here, you got to split up her time to make sure. I mean, it really gets really complicated. And if people don't think it is, think about your tax code at, every year. Think about staring out part of your house that's being used for working from home and the other part of your house not being used for working from home. I just think sometimes people don't realize of how ridiculous this is. These are medical providers. These are advocates. These yeah. are people who just want to make sure people have good health care and are safe, and they're supposed to now become accountants on U.S. policies and, you know, and in remote parts of countries. And it's just, it has always been ridiculous. It has always continued under, under Republican administrations and under the Trump administration. He expanded it even more without any knowledge of whether or not this made any sense. Um, and it's an overkill on policies that already exist that separates U.S. funding for abortion, which are um, being used for abortions in countries.
1: So, Yumna, know, I know this is a really big deal for frontline AIDS. And, yeah. you, you know, to the extent that that frontline would not work uh, and um and not seek us support if the gag rule was in effect how has this materialized uh, and made things difficult for your partners on the ground
2: yeah so you know going back to the gag rule um when you know when trump came under the trump administration you know frontline is just to say you know we're not going to abide by these kind of silly crazy restrictions um you know you gotta get separate accountants to do stuff but that's just beside that what we did was though we i mean we, we part form part of a partnership and so there is an economic issue to this and i think you touched on it crystal besides you know getting all the labor intensive aspect of it it's also the part that. um partners needed to make money um, so they had to make decisions between livelihoods um, and and a human rights approach so for example um, some of the partners got most of the funding from the US government. And so if you if you made a decision to stop and not abide by any of that in the same way that Front and AIDS had did, then it meant that your livelihood is gone, jobs is lost, you know, services are lost, um, anything that was funded. So it was kind of how do we then go through this process with our partners? And that's exactly what Front and AIDS did. They went through a process of understanding, helping partners to understand first of all what this meant for them. Um, you know, on an implementation level and then through a case-by-case situation looked at how we can support them. Um, so even if partners decided to still accept US funding, um, Front end AIDS didn't necessarily deny them that because at the end of the days we are still looking at the end of the line and that is HIV and being able to stop the incidence of HIV um, in, you know, by a certain time. And so we needed to make sure that our partners were in a position where they understood what they were doing in terms of the decisions they were making and that their lives were not being complicated and that lives were not lost to hiv because this is going to happen we're going to lose lives to hiv but we're also going to lo- lose lives to backseat abortions if it continues and so it's still a big issue for us if if roe versus wade gets overturned which means we're going to have to go back to those notes that we've made and those advice that we provided to partners and have to work with our partners again from, you know, from a basis of understanding what is happening, how can we support this process? How can we make sure that, you know, the the, the implications is not going to be a big one because we're really having this big problem with, you know, the kind of uh, of gains lost to COVID. Now this is going to add to it. And so how do we work with our partners on that level and um and that's what it is we have you know we have a partnership council that we put in place where our partners actually you know manages this council we form part of it we don't lead it um and and we sit in this council and we have to discuss as partners what are we going to do but we also don't you know say well you've accepted the money we're not going to help you because that's not going to help the process you know um so Yeah, frontline aids will have to do it this way. Um, Otherwise, we could not form part of a good partnership that can support our partners in moving forward. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And Patricia, I suppose you can speak to how the rubber hits the road, as it were, in Kenya, pardon me. Um, Have you had this sort of accounting nightmare that um, Crystal was referring to um, in managing both Uh, PEPFAR funds during the GAG rule and your own or other funding that has come in?
3: Yeah, sure. So for us um, as an organization, we are largely PEPFAR funded. Um, Our HIV response entirely in the country is, is largely USAID funding, more than 90%. So, I mean, it's PEPFAR funding, the US money. Uh, more than 90%. And so when the gag rule um, came up, we all had to, you know, like go through the processes and uh, declare that we will not work um, in the abortion space by, um, you know, creating more awareness about it or looking like we are promoting abortion. As an organization, Also. What our main focus has been, and it's also because of the kind of space that we work in, we have constantly been pushing for prevention, prevention of pregnancies. And um, that space is not very easy. Um, And and so where we are at right now, uh, with all that is going on, we are seeing um, a stronger voice um, of the organizations or institutions and advocates uh, who have been against, uh, for example, contraceptives uh, for for young people, those voices have been amplified. So for us, we had to have this conversation also with uh, frontline aides and just let them know exactly what's going on and what we have to do as an organization and just chatting the way forward on how we continue to respond to um, HIV and AIDS but then also continue to work in the sexual and productive health and rights space uh, so that uh, women and uh, girls have the, the, the ability, but then also be able to just uh, enjoy and exercise their rights to make uh, certain decisions about their their bodies. So issues on bodily autonomy. And as um, our colleagues have rightfully said, uh, we we've, we've definitely seen a lot of things, you know, are uh, going wrong. That even with the things that you hope that when you propose them, that be taken positively, because they then help the country learn how best to program, uh, especially for adolescents uh, below the age of 18 and young people uh, during the season of COVID, you know, looking at pregnancies, teen pregnancies going up as high as 34%. And we know we have started another cycle of poverty. Another cycle of inequalities, another cycle, another cycle of violence against children, poverty. We 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 have seen all that happening under our watch. And so, it gets very complicated, very murky, um, very strong. You know, religious settings that don't even allow us to have certain conversations. For those of us who are spiritual, when we start talking about can we face the realities of our time? It would be awesome if um, the under 18s would abstain, but the reality of the day is they are not abstaining. So what is the good thing to do for them? Should we keep quiet, not give them access to HIV prevention, wait for them to become positive, then we give them ARVs and we tell them they will serve as an example leave the girls and not give them contraceptives so they become pregnant, uh, some of them get triplets, they never finished high school, they can never get jobs, they cannot do business, no one is going to volunteer to take care of them plus they are three children, another cycle of poverty, suffering that is happening under our watch and it is within our power to change some of these dynamics and so You know, the the stories we we get to hear and handle, you get your triplets. And then before you realize again, you you are in another relationship because the first boyfriend dumped you. Before you realize you're pregnant again, unable to feed three children, unable to feed yourself, you're pregnant again. We've seen this plight happening, but every time we want to hide, hide under religion, hide under values, and begin saying that our teachers, our parents should be teaching children values. For me, there's more to it. It's not just about values. Values are there and and people hold on to certain values, but then give access, give access, face the realities, look into the future because sometimes I think we focus so much on what is happening in the present and we forget that there is a future And all these people we will one day meet in that future have high crime rates because the rates of unemployment are very high. You know, all the the good indicators we wanted to see of young people completing schools, getting stable livelihoods will be dreams in the pipeline that will never ever be realized. And so good quality, you know, quality health, good quality of life are things that we sound like they are unachievable at the moment because of decisions that are being made by people who have the power to change.
1: Wow, I'm 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 really lost for words. Not a good thing for a podcast host, it must be said, but Patricia, I I, I really am. And and I guess this speaks to you know two things that are emerging from this conversation. The first is that this is you know this will be a landmark decision, but it's it's not the beginning of the story, and it's not the end of the story. Um, and the second thing is around how um, you know how we engage faith-based communities in a conversation that and um, and and then decisions. That really respect um, the rights, the life of people who are with us now. Um, but on the first point, the question of um, this is this is not the end of the matter. Um, you know that horrible phrase, the slippery slope, comes to mind. Um, Patricia, you've already said that this is not just about abortion. This will be contraception. This will be all sorts of things uh, relating to the agency of of young girls, particularly, but also young young men, young teenage men, uh, teenage boys. But I think it would be really interesting to get um, uh, Crystal your take and, and Yumna your take as well on what this means for other aspects of the rights based approach to HIV. So, what is this going to mean for? Um, other marginalized communities, uh, men who have sex with men, transgender men and women, um, and and some of the uh, writing around this decision is that oh no 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 it's 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 ring fenced it's absolutely focused on this particular issue, but that isn't the case, is it?
4: No, and and I think. It's bait and switch thing again. Oh, don't worry about it. It's only going to apply to this. It's like, one, it shouldn't apply to that at all. But we know that all of these issues under privacy, it is, like you said, about uh, who you, your sexual orientation. It's also about who you love as far as marriage. And I think people are really getting that interracial marriage is not guaranteed. Uh, it is the same kind of idea underneath that uh, you know, loving case was built. I think that people are paying closer attention, more concern, which I think may help to change the narrative this time. And gives me the hope that more and more communities are coming together. I remember while uh, working on the March for Women's Lives in two thousand and four, and reaching out to an unnamed um, uh, organization for that focused on um, LGBT rights. And them saying, well, sexual reproductive health isn't our issue. And now they, you know, years later, they're on the front lines of support. The reality is I think people think it's, you know, oh, that, that only affects those people. That affects those people. The reality is it affects all of us. It all falls under human rights. And if someone does not think you have the right to make decisions about your body, we fundamentally don't believe that we're really equal. We don't see these laws applying to, and everyone jokes about it, but it's not replied to anything affecting men's bodies. It only seems to affect women's bodies and young people's bodies. There is a conscious effort here going on to control that if people are not paying attention, it will get worse. And so that is what we have businesses now who are saying, wait a second, you know, Women should be able to decide whether or not they want to use birth control or not. Is that what we're really talking about? And we're telling you, yes, that is what we're talking about. We have states who have already put things in place that when Roe is overturned and it's illegal now in some cases, that they'll make it that medical abortion pills that will help abortions medically will, will not are not able to be um, mailed to those states. Th- this is a control mechanism. This is all about control. And people are not paying attention. Or don't think it'll happen. It will only get worse if we stand by. And it again, it won't just happen in the U.S. It'll happen around the world, and it will keep, you know, moving things in the wrong direction versus, you know, in the right direction where we have seen the trends go.
1: Yumna, your your thoughts, and and particularly something you said at the start of this uh, podcast that is resonating now with me around. You know the white elephant in the room that this is the question of control is inextricably bound up with the the issue of race.
2: Yeah, I, I think for me, you know, the whole issue of um, human rights and uh, and patriarchy um, is a big thing for me. Um, global health in started in colonial times and it was inextricably linked to patriarchy. And um, I mean, if you would just would to think of an example of a black if i was to take south africa for example we have what is called domestic workers it's it's black women usually young black women coming to work in a white person's house and so now it's beyond just working in white people's houses um and getting raped and then having this challenge generally being raped by her her employer um and this child then gets reared by grandmother um, so the mother has no relationship with that. And normally in a poverty stricken space. Um and it's I mean this it's just outlining levels of intersectionality and um and just how race and um you know under goods um the whole issue um and, and i just you know it fuels discrimination but this whole issue of choice and being able to make decisions where laws are put in place to take that away from people um and and it's nothing different from what this is it's taking away choice taking away the ability to make decisions um and and for me, this this the bigger picture is case law, is that if you are able to overturn this and using it from a case law perspective, what else are you gonna overturn? Um, where else are you gonna take this to? Um, because I mean, if, if a woman's life is is considered not important, we'll just make a decision for her, you know, anytime. So who else are you gonna make decisions for? Um and so this is this is a burning issue because um, it, it does speak to the issue of rights. It does speak to the definition of human rights. It does this, uh, you know, are are human rights exclusive of certain communities? Certain, you know, marg- are, are certain communities marginalized from being part of a human rights definition? And so, for us at Frontline AIDS, that's not that's just not on. We we don't discriminate who who has human rights. Everybody that is human has a right, and it falls under human rights. And so. Um, you know, transgendered people, um, the whole LGBTI community, people that are um refugees, people that are living that are you know that are moving between countries, what are their SRHR? How are they being addressed? And how is this going to affect their rights? Because now they are in the balance, isn't it? They're between countries, between um what happens then um, on a global perspective from that from that perspective. So for me, it is again an issue of control, like you were saying, Crystal. But what does that control mean? Um, and who's allowed to have that control? And that brings me back to something that we at Front and Aids have been doing for years, and that's working with communities um, imp- and help communities come to terms with what is happening around the issue of HIV and how we can work together. And so, when we are talking about the US leading on certain things and having that power and control over countries where they provide money to, we need to look at those countries and, and ask them, is this what you want? Do you always want to be, you know, submissive to the North who's providing you with funds despite the fact they're not addressing your real issues uh, because you're just you you presenting the issues they want to hear, you present because that's what they're giving you money for. Um is that what you want to do? Is that progress? How sustainable is that? And so we need to re- revisit our national levels and ask them that question. Because where do we want to go with this? Where do we? W- how do we want to end AIDS? If if we're going to continue to be submissive, and and you know being held ransom to kind of what the North is telling us to do, and with the money that they want to provide us. And so we are being colonized all over again but just in a different way and so so those are some of the very pertinent issues that I I, keeps me up at night yeah
1: well I I can see that we're getting to the top of the hour um and and sorry my computer intervened and intervened here and and made a noise when it shouldn't have done uh but we're getting to the top of the hour and you know you are three incredible uh passionate articulate and inspiring leaders let me ask you where do we go from here um crystal excuse the pun Mm -hmm. if you were to look into your crystal ball what do you think it's going to look like in two years time and what can we do to make sure that the 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 arc of justice truly does bend in the right way
4: Uh, Well, I'm going to put out there, you know, just speaking into existence is um, we're going to have a Congress that supports full access to protect women's right to choose in legislation so that we don't have to do this ping pong. And we'll have a president who will continue to support um, reproductive health care and rights for all people. And so we just stopped this. We set the precedent set. This is unacceptable. We're better than this. And we continue to advocate uh, to countries around the world to do better and be better. And as Yula said, you know, this um, I recently was at the World Health Assembly and it was one of the first times that I've seen so many countries, um, low and middle income countries sitting together and talking about that they were not going to wait for donor countries to prioritize their priorities. And I felt like it was said before, it was like, yeah, but this time people seem to mean it. COVID was a huge equalizer for people to say, all of a sudden donor nations turned around and said, I'm gonna take care of my stuff and I'll see you later. And I think this is the kind of issue where we hope countries will say, we're not actually gonna take you United States. We think this is ridiculous. This is moving the wrong direction. We are going to move what's right for us, which is protecting our young people, protecting women, um, their full uh, rights in our country. We're going to put some things into legislation so we don't have to have these things happen in our country. Learn from us is what I'll say. So I'm putting it out there. This is going to be better in two years. People are going to learn. We're going to do better. And other countries will see our mistakes and do better with them.
1: Yumna, know, what does this mean for frontline AIDS? Where does uh, where do all of your passion and your um, uh, enthusiasm enthusiasm and drive take us next?
2: So, first of all, we're not threatened. I think that's the big message going out there. We're not threatened. We believe in the power of communities. We believe that if communities are supported and they can work together, we can make a difference despite what the donor is and who the donor is and bringing us what. So so that's the first thing. I think we are very determined to end AIDS. We don't want to see the incidents. We're happy with prevalence for now, but even that, we would want to, you know, try and get to a point where it's very stable and controllable. But most importantly, we have a very, very, very 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 big uh you know journey ahead of us and we shouldn't stop don't stop just keep pushing the advocacy keep pushing for you know what is right what if from a human rights perspective and one of the key things and i think this is the bedrock to making informed decisions <laughs> and i sometimes think the people that are making these real rotten decisions is because they never had any CSE in their life. Um, I think what's important here is that, you know, comprehensive sexuality education is something that we've just come out of a global symposium of. And there it's demonstrated the kind of decisions that people are making based on misinformation and based on accurate information. And clearly we're gonna continue with CSE and hopefully out of that, we'll get enough pushback, both at the community, country level, Level, as well as a global level, to say these kind of decisions that's being made for us is just unacceptable, and we're not going to have it. And um, hopefully, the pushback would be such that, that that you know, whoever is pushing us is 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 going to get threatened by that that kind of position. So we're not going to stand down, definitely not, because we we can't have anything undermine you know stopping aid. So we're not going to stop there, and we're going to work with our partners. At whatever level they are at, to make sure that this is happening. And as a partnership, we're going to come out strong and say, "I'm sorry, we're not threatened by this, and we're going to push back one hundred percent. yeah,
1: Patricia, a, a sort of a final word uh, I think goes to you. i mean what what advice would you give us in terms of speaking to uh, speaking truth to power in the corridors of authority? um and what do you need from us, if anything?
3: Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I think for me, in, uh, to be able to adequately respond to this issue is uh, ensuring that we are harnessing the voices of the community, the people with the lived experiences, the people who are directly being impacted by these kind of decisions, and putting the stories out there. Number two is um, something that has already been said, is that human rights are human rights. Whatever it takes to allow people to fully enjoy their rights, then that is what we need to make available. We need to work with our various governments. And uh, this is going to apply in different ways in different countries, uh, taking into consideration the various dynamics in our countries, but also just taking time you know, to listen and having our governments also listening. And for me, it's, it's usually the controversies uh, when it comes to making decisions. So for us, there are things that, when they are decided by the US, they are good. When they are decided by the US, they are bad. Uh, so, so for example, when we are talking about, um, um, you know, issues on uh, early sexual debut amongst young people, we are told that that is a Western agenda. It's it's the people of the West who have made our adolescents have sex. I find it very strange, um, but when there's a decision that, for example, the dapevine vaginal ring will not be available, then our governments are like, even us, we don't think we're going to put our money there. Really? (laughs) Consistency. For me, it's about consistency, human rights, allow people to make decisions. Let me tell you, I don't believe that there's a day when the entire world, we will share the same values. I don't think so. And so, because each and every person has their own values, there are things they believe in, there are things they want done, give people the space. There are things that we all know this is wrong and we all, you know, uh, generally agree to them. And they form part of our laws because we all generally agree to them. But let's really get to understand. And for me, lastly, it's let's face reality. Let's face reality. Hiding under all these many excuses we keep giving is not going to get us anywhere. If we were asked to all give an excuse for why we can't do certain things, we will all write a book for why there are things we cannot do. So let's face reality and let's have realistic solutions to the current problems so that when we meet into the future, we'll be very proud of the decisions that we made today. Thank you.
1: What a, what a great way to, to close us out, Patricia. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. Um, and, I, and, and I guess I, I would just conclude by saying it's been a real honor to be sharing the mic with you crystal with you yumna and you patricia so thank you very very much for all that you do and i'm quite sure that we will be staying in close contact because this is only just beginning so thank you
2: thank you